Chapter Six of Consequences by E. M. Delafield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The End of an Era. No salient landmarks ever seemed to Alex to render eventful the two and a half years that elapsed between those summer holidays at Five Apples Farm and her final departure from the Liège convent to begin her grown-up life at home. The rearrangement of the day's routine consequent on the beginning of the winter half-year caused her to miss Queenie less acutely than she had done when she first came home for the holidays. And with Queenie's absence there were fewer revolts against convent law and less disfavour from the authorities. She made no other great friends. Marie Monroe showed her a marked friendliness at first, but Alex could not forget that giggling revelation of Barbara's and shrank from her advances unmistakably. She had very little in common with her French contemporaries, and knew that they thought her English accent and absence of proficiency in needlework marks of eccentricity and of bad form, so that she became self-conscious and aggressive before them. She was hardly aware of her own intense loneliness. The poignant realisation of it was to come later, but the want of any channel of self-expression for her overdeveloped emotional capabilities produced in her a species of permanent discontent that reacted on her health and on her spirits, so that she got the reputation, least enviable of any in schoolgirl circles, of being a tragedy queen. Her morose pallor, partly the result of an undervitalized system, and partly of her total lack of any interest in her surroundings, were considered fair game. Voyez, Alex, elle a son air bête aujourd'hui. A qui l'enterrement, Alex? They were quite good-humoured and did not mean to hurt her. It was not their fault that such pinpricks stabbed her and sent her away to cry over her own friendlessness until she felt sick and exhausted. She did not expend on anyone else the extravagant worship bestowed upon Queenie Torrance. For a year she wrote to Queenie throughout the holidays and received meagre and unsatisfactory replies, and then gradually the correspondence ceased altogether, and Alex only looked forward with an occasional vague curiosity to the possibility of meeting Queenie again in London, on the terms of equality symbolised by their both being grown up. During her last year at school, lack of intimate intercourse with anyone and the languid sentimentality of adolescence made her take for the first time some interest in religion as understood at the convent. She prolonged her weekly confession, which had hitherto been a matter of routine to be got through as rapidly as possible, in order to obtain the solace of talking about herself, and derived a certain tepid pleasure in minutely following and applying to herself the more anecdotal portions of the New Testament. For a time it seemed to her that she had found a refuge. Then came the affair of the examination. Alex, in her last term, and taking part in the final midsummer concours, could not bear the penalty of failure which it seemed to her would be displayed in the mediocrity which had all along been her portion. She had never been admitted to the virtuous society of the Enfants de Marie, had never taken more than one of the less distinguished prizes at the end of any term, and had no warmly worded report to display her popularity and the sense of loss that her departure would leave. Her place in the half-yearly examination was not a good one. She had none of Cedric's power of concentration, and her abilities were not such as to win her any regard in the continental and Catholic system of education of the middle nineties. She cheated over the examination. It was quite easy to copy from the girl next to her, who happened to be one of the best vehicles for carefully tabulated and quite unconnected facts in the school. 
Alex could read the dates and the proper names and all the principal words on her history paper, and transferred them to her own, clothing the dry bones in the imaginative fabric of her own words, for the English girls were allowed to do most of the papers in their own language. At the end of the morning she was oddly elated at the sight of her well-filled paper and felt no qualms at all. In the afternoon she was again next to Marie-Louise, and congratulated herself that the paper should be the literature one. Arithmetic, she knew, was not the strong point of Marie-Louise, and besides it would be almost impossible to copy the workings of problems figure for figure without ultimate detection. That night, however, when Alex knelt down to say her prayers, she was suddenly overwhelmed by remorse and terror. Her crime came between her and God. The vaguely comforting belief that because she was lonely and miserable, he would vouchsafe to her an especial pity was destroyed. Between God and a sinner, so Alex had been told, lay an impassable gulf that only repentance, confession, atonement and punishment could bridge, and even then an indelible entry against one's name testified to eventual exposure and shame at some dreadful inevitable assizes, when sins hidden and forgotten, large and small, of commission and omission alike would be made known to all the world, assembled together for the last judgment. Faced with this inevitable retribution, Alex felt that no present success was worth it, and wondered whether she could not repair her wickedness as far as possible on the morrow by confession. But when the morrow had come, the day of judgment seemed far removed from the hot July morning, and the breaking up when the result of the examinations would be heard a very present reality indeed. It was a relief to the hot, tossing sensation of balancing values in her mind to remember that it was the day of the catechism examination, which would be viva voce. She acquitted herself very badly, and the temptation to retrieve her failure in the afternoon was irresistible when she again found herself placed next to the prodigy Marie-Louise. The paper was headed Histoire de l'Église, and immense value was attached to proficiency in the subject, strenuously taught to the convent pupils out of enormous old-fashioned volumes containing much loyal fiction with a modicum of distorted historical fact. Alex fell. She could overlook her neighbour's papers so easily, hardly even turning her head, that it only struck her as inconvenient, and did not awaken her any fear of detection, when presently Marie-Louise pulled a piece of blotting paper towards her, so that it covered the page on which she was working. Alex finished the question to which Marie-Louise had unwittingly supplied her with material for the answer, and looked about her, subconsciously waiting for the removal of the blotting paper. Her eyes met those of a younger child, seated exactly opposite to her, whose sharp, dark gaze was fixed upon her with a sort of eager, contemptuous horror. In that instant, when it seemed as though her heart had stopped beating, Alex knew herself detected. The colour rushed from her face, and she felt cold and giddy. Lacking the instinctive guard against self-betrayal which is the hallmark of the habitual deceiver, her terrified gaze turned straight to Marie-Louise. The smooth, dark head was bent low, one hand still clutched at the covering blotting paper, and the ear and piece of cheek which were all that Alex could see were scarlet. Marie-Louise knew. The sharp-eyed child opposite had seen Alex cheat, and had no doubt conveyed a silent telegraphic warning. It seemed to Alex that the world had stopped. Accusation, disgrace, expulsion, all whirled through her mind and left no permanent image there. 
her imagination stopped utterly dead at the horror of it. She sat perfectly motionless for the remaining hours of the morning, unconscious of the passage of time, only conscious of an increasing sense of physical sickness. It was an absolute relief to her when the bell rang, and she found herself obliged to get up and move across the long classroom with the others to give up her papers. Vous êtes malade, Alexandra? J'ai mal au cœur, said Alex faintly. She was sent to the infirmary to lie down, and the old lay sister in charge of it was so kind to her, and commiserated her wan, forlorn appearance so pityingly that Alex burst into a flood of tears that relieved the tension of her body, and sent her, quivering but uncomprehendingly sensible of relief, to rest exhaustedly upon the narrow infirmary bed with little white curtains drawn all round it. No doubt everyone would soon know of her disgrace, and she would be expelled to the shame and anger of her father and mother, and the downfall of all her boastings to Barbara. No doubt God had abandoned one so unworthy of his forgiveness. But Sir Clementine was kind, and it seemed in the incredible comfort of a little human tenderness that nothing else mattered. And, after all, that hour's anticipation proved to be the worst that happened to her. She went downstairs for the evening preparation, and Marie-Louise, a trusted enfant de Marie, obtained permission to speak to her alone, and solemnly conducted her to the lavatory as the most private place in the school. Standing over the sink with its stiff and solitary tap of cold water, Marie-Louise conducted her inquiry with business-like, passionless directness. Alex made no attempt either to deny her sin or to palliate it. She was mentally and emotionally far too much exhausted for any effort, and it did not even occur to her that any excuse could avail her anything. Marie-Louise was not at all unkind. She knew all about La Charité, and was agreeably conscious of exercising this reputable virtue to the full, when she informed Alex that no one should ever know of the lapse from her, provided that Alex, making her own explanation to the classmistress, should withdraw her papers from the examination. "'But what can I say to her?' asked Alex. "'Quant à ça,' said Marie-Louise, in the detached tones of one who had accomplished her duty, and felt no further interest on the point at issue. "'Quant à ça, débrouillez-vous avec votre conscience.' To this task she left Alex. And Alex ended by doing nothing at all, partly from inertia, partly because she knew that Marie-Louise would never ask her what she had done. She shirked the shame and trouble of confession to her classmistress, and let her papers go in with the others. She knew that she would not get a high place, for her work all through the term had been bad, and would have to be taken into consideration, and over all the remaining papers she muddled hopelessly. Besides, she was leaving for good, and no one would know. She had lost her self-respect when she first realised that she was cheating, and it was then, as she neared the completion of her seventeenth year, that the belief was ineradicably planted in Alex's soul that she had been born with a natural love of evil, and that goodness was an abstract attitude of mind to which she could never do more than aspire fruitlessly, with no slightest expectation of attainment. She was further conscious of an intense determination to hide the knowledge of her own innate badness from everyone. If she were ever seen in her true colours, no one would love her, and Alex already knew dimly, and with a further sense of having strange low standards of her own, that she wanted to be loved more than anything in the world, far more than she wanted to be good. The affair of the examination passed, and although Alex did not forget it, she mostly remembered it as merely the culminating scandal of a succession of petty evasions and cowardly deceptions. 
she left Liège without regret. She had hated the physical discomfort of the conventual system, the insufficient hours of sleep, the bitter cold of the Belgian winters, and the streaming rain that defiled the summers. She had hated the endless restrictions and the minute system of surveillance that was never relaxed. Above all, she had hated the sense of her own isolation in a crowd, her own utter absence of attraction for her kind. It seemed to Alex that when she joined the mysterious ranks of grown-up people, everything would be different. She never doubted that with long dresses and piled-up hair, her whole personality would change, and the meaningless chaos of life reduce itself to some comprehensible solution. Everything all her life had been tending towards the business of growing up. Everything that she was taught at home impressed the theory that her coming out would usher in the realities of life and nothing impressed her more with a sense of the tremendous importance of the approaching change than Lady Isabel's greeting when she came back to Cleveland Square after her final term at Liège. "'We've put off Scotland for a week, darling. Your father's been so good about it, so that I may see about your clothes. I've made appointments with Marguerite and the other places for you, so there'll be nothing to do but try on. But, of course, I shall have to see the things myself before they finish them, and tell them about the colours. They're sure to want to touch everything up with pink or blue, and white is so much prettier for a young girl. White with a tiny little diamante edging, I thought, for one of your evening dresses. The first thing, of course, is your hair. Louise must go with you to Hugo's, and watch them very carefully while they do it in two or three different styles. Then she'll be able to do it for you every evening. I expect she'll have to do it every day to begin with, but you must try and learn. I should like you to be able to be independent of a maid in that sort of way, one never knows quite that sometime one mightn't find oneself stranded for a day or two. I don't think your hair will need waving, Alex, which is such a comfort. So many women have to wear their fringe and curlers every night. Thank heaven I've never had to. As a matter of fact, they say fringes are going out now. But I'm certainly not going to let yours grow until we're quite certain about it. And a bald forehead is always so unbecoming. Alex listened with a sense of importance and excitement but she was also rather bewildered. The contrast between all this preoccupation with her clothes and her appearance, and the austere mental striving after spiritual or moral results which had permeated the convent atmosphere, was too violent. "'You'll be interested in it all, my darling, won't you?' asked Lady Isabel disappointedly. "'I couldn't bear to have a daughter who didn't care about her things. Some girls are like that. So disappointing.' after one's had all the trouble of their upbringing and is looking forward to a little reward. Alex could find no words in which to explain what she knew quite well, that she was as full of eager anticipations as Lady Isabel could wish, but was too much bewildered by the novelty of it all as yet to give any expression to them. She became rather boisterous and unconvincing in her endeavours to express, by means which were not spontaneous, the pleasure and excitement expected of her. You'll learn to move prettily and quietly, darling, and we must see about some dancing lessons before next year. Dancing fashions alter so quickly nowadays, said Lady Isabel, her low, gentle tones a shade lower and more gentle than usual. But I shan't go to balls yet, stammered Alex. She and Barbara had only been allowed a very few children's parties, and for the last few years she had been considered too old for these. She thought of a ball as a prolonged, glorified party. Not until after your presentation, of course, and that won't be till the spring, but there may be one or two affairs in the country at Christmas, if I take you to stay about as I hope. 
You see, darling, my plan is to let you have the next two months in the country with little Barbara just as usual. Only you must take great care not to let yourself get freckled in the sun. And then when you come back to town in October, you can have your hair properly put up and come about with me, so as to get to know people and make a little beginning before there's any question of really doing the season properly next summer. Alex began to feel vastly important. She had never been the centre of so much attention before. Evidently, this affair of coming out was the culminating point to which all life had hitherto been tending. Even Barbara treated her with a rather envious respect now. Only Cedric remained unimpressed, and treated his eldest sister's marked tendency to assume airs of extreme maturity with silent indifference. His school career was proceeding more triumphantly than ever, and his removes succeeded one another with a rapidity only less startling than his increasing reputation as a cricketer. He spent most of his holidays with a schoolfellow, and showed himself rather scornful of girls in general, and of his sisters in particular, although he played willingly enough with little Pamela, who had grown to an attractive and talkative age. Barbara asked him once, with a touch of slyness characteristic of her in certain moods, whether he remembered Marie Monroe. "'Red-haired American kid? Oh, yes,' said Cedric loftily. "'Didn't she have a sister who was bosom friends with Alex at Liège, or some rot of that kind?' and Alex had felt unaccountably relieved at the implication of the evanescent character of Cedric's Willem admiration. They spent August and September at the seaside on the Cornish coast. Alex enjoyed the daily bathing and scrambling over the rocks barefooted, and the picnic teas in any sheltered cove that old nurse judged sufficiently protected from the profane gaze of possible trippers, but she had all the time the sense that these hot, leisurely days were only a time of waiting, and even when she enjoyed herself most, she was conscious of annoying impatience for the next step. The week in London before Lady Isabel and Sir Francis started for Scotland had rather disappointed Alex, although she did not own it even to herself. Perpetual tryings-on in hot weather had proved a tiring performance, and her feet ached from standing and from the hot pavement, so that she dragged herself rather than walked, or stood on one foot so as to save the other, which had vexed Lady Isabel, and led to a long admonition as to the importance of moving properly and always holding oneself upright. Moreover, Alex, although she did not give very much thought to her own looks as a rule, had always expected that as soon as she grew up, she would almost automatically become very beautiful, and it vexed and surprised her to find that her new frocks, still in a very incompleted stage, did not at once produce any startling change in her appearance. It was also disappointing that her mother and her mother's dressmaker should so often seem to find in her hitherto unsuspected deficiencies. Mademoiselle won't be able to wear elbow sleeves just at present, Modem. I'm afraid, at least, not until we've got rid of that redness. Dear me, no. I suppose that comes from keeping her elbows on a school desk. How very vexing. Really, the nuns must have been very careless to let you get into the way of it, Alex, and it's made your shoulders round, too. Mademoiselle must keep her shoulders well back if that white chiffon is to look like anything at all, chimed in Madame Marguerite most impressively. It will simply be ruination to let it drop like that in the front. It takes away all the smartness from it. Alex straightened herself uneasily. It's such a simple little frock. The whole thing is how it's worn which made Alex feel miserably unequal to the responsibility laid upon her. "'Her neck is very thin,' sighed Lady Isabel. And Madame Marguerite, her large head with its weight of elaborate yellow waves well on one side as she gazed at Alex, 
had looked very disparaging indeed as she said in tones more consolatory than hopeful of course mademoiselle may fill out a bit before next year alex in her heart had been thankful when it was all over and she had gone back to the old blue cotton frocks that were to be worn out at the seaside her only responsibility there was the daily struggle of putting up her hair to her disgust and to barbara's derision the hairdresser had insisted upon a large bun-like frame which made her head ache and pinned on by her unskilful hands displayed a strong tendency to slip down the back of her neck and however much she might brush and pull her hair over it there always appeared a hiatus sooner or later through which a large patch of what barbara jeeringly called false horse-hair might plainly be seen in spite of it all however alex enjoyed those last schoolroom days of hers more than any she had yet known real life was going to begin and though alex had no idea as to how the transformation would be effected she was convinced that everything which she had longed for and utterly missed throughout her school days would now be hers End of chapter 6